We're jumping back into Revelation, and so for those of you that are new, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that we are jumping in the middle of a series. Uh, we did the first half, uh, let's see, I think May 28th was where we left off, but um, you can go back on our YouTube channel and pick up on the first several uh, messages. I think we had seven, uh, seven messages leading up here to Revelation 6. And so let me just bring us up to speed where we're at, just a few things that I want to make sure we're on the same page about because anytime you start preaching through Revelation, it can get weird. And, uh, and like people, okay, let me just say this. Don't send me that 17-hour video on like that little tiny detail. I'm just going to tell you right now, I appreciate you thinking of me. I don't have time to watch it, okay? So like... I know I'm gonna get your emails and stuff like this, which is awesome. I love I love working through this. I want us to grow and dive deep together. But there are a few things you, as I teach through this, that I want I want to make sure you're aware of. Number one, as we're going through Revelation, first of all, we have to recognize that two thirds of Revelation comes either directly from the Old Testament or it's alluding to the Old Testament, and so if if we just try to understand Revelation without referencing the Old Testament. Guys, just, it's not, it's not going to work well. I heard, I heard a pastor say one time, you know, that we just need to unhook the Old Testament from the Bible. Are you kidding me? If you do that, you literally don't understand the significance of what Christ did, the symbolism that's even there. We don't understand revelation. So we're, we're going to be going back to the Old Testament from time to time to make sure we understand this. Secondly, we cannot understand this from our cultural perspective. Like if you're reading through and you're like, hey, you know what? I think God's talking about Idaho. He's not. Like he's not, okay? Like if you're seeing Governor Brad Little in Revelation, like it's a problem there. I'm just telling you right now. Like, like it's, okay? So it was written to a specific audience at a specific point in time. And, and just so you know, it was not given to them as a puzzle that they didn't get any of the things. They actually knew the Old Testament. And so they would have picked up a lot of things that we have missed. There's 2,000 year gap between it was written and, and what we're studying today. And, and we've lost a few things. And it's because a lot of times we've got a little weird on this and we forgot that much of Revelation is not literal, it's symbolic. Now, don't get me wrong. It's talking about literal things. But it's, it's a type of literature called apocryphal literature. And it's, it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's, it's this type of, of, of literature that is, that is written. I said apocryphal. That's not the word I meant to use. Um, anyway, the word escapes me right now. It starts with an A. Anyway, uh, it's written. It's a, type of, it's a type of literature that is written symbolically to teach things. And a lot of people have gone off the, off the deep end as they've studied through Revelation because they're, they're reading every single part literal, literally. Now, here's the deal. It's referring to literal things. We're going to dig and we're going to we're going to get into this, but I want to make sure that we don't get weird on this and miss what, what the intention of this is. What that just means is you got to dig, okay? Like, you got to dig. Fourth, revelation is not necessarily written in chronological order. Now, what I mean by that is John is recording the visions in the sequence that they're given to him, but as Christ or an angel is showing him the things, there are times 
He'll, there'll be an event here and then an event here. And then there's going to be a vision that goes actually back to here. In fact, some of the, some of the visions are, are actually different aspects of the same thing. And so it's very important that we understand that you just can't, it's not like a chronological uh, order that we just read straight through. It's going to happen in the, this event that everything's going to just line up perfectly chapter by chapter. We, we want to make sure that we understand this. Fifth, in spite of what you might have heard, in spite of what you might think about Revelation, at the end of the day, it is a book of triumph, a book of victory. Listen, what Revelation is revealing is that Jesus Christ is going to, actually, he's already won. All of history is, is getting to the place where we cannot be able to deny Jesus Christ has won. He's going to kick evil's butt along the way. It's going to be awesome. And so we got to make sure that, that we grasp this, understand this. As we dig, there is a judge and he will make all things right in this world. Everything that you see, that you fear, the grief that we go through, this is not the end of the story. And we're going to see this as we dig into Revelation. And so as we go through here, just so you know, if I go, if I, if I, if I go to every single detail and I break down everything, like as a classroom teacher, we will never get through this book. And that's not my purpose. As I'm teaching through this, we're going to be teaching the major themes through each chapter as we, as we go through this, okay? So, so hang with me. Like, there might be some questions that you'll want to follow up on. I have, man, I will be more than happy to follow up on some of these things, but I want to hit the main themes because not only do I want to teach, I want to preach because this matters for how we live here today. And so again, this, this book is written to a suffering church, it's written to a church that they're not suffering, you know, like they couldn't find uh, a seat in their favorite row or they got grounds in the coffee when they went to the coffee shop or, you know, it took them about two minutes extra to get out of the parking lot today at church. No, I know you're suffering. It's not that suffering. Like, look, we're talking about, that it's written to people that are losing their jobs because they're Christians. Uh, people who have businesses in some of these Roman colonies, and actually an edict has gone out that says you are not allowed to buy goods from this place because they're Christians. This is written to people who not, not only are uh, being hurt financially, they're also being hurt physically. They're being beaten, they're being flogged. Actually, they're getting to the point where many of them, uh, we have record, historical records of this. They are taken to, arrested, taken to Colosseums, asked to recant their faith in Jesus Christ, and they won't, and they're given to wild beasts. This is a time in which the church is suffering immensely. A time in which there's a bounty out in some, in some colonies on the heads of Christians. If you turn them in, you get a reward. They're killed. And so we've got to make sure that we understand what's going on. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he writes earlier to a, a church in, in the area of Thessalonica. Uh, it's in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1. And, and he's talking about the suffering church. He's like, I know you're going through things. You're suffering. You're, you're facing certain things. But I want you to know that everywhere I go, I'm telling people about your faith. And it's like, that's nice. Uh, glad you're talking about faith. But is this thing going to end? 
And he answers that when he says in verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians 1, he said, indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these aren't just innocent people who haven't heard the gospel yet. He's talking about people who are rebellious to the gospel. They have resisted. In fact, as we're going to see later, they are anti-Christ. They are resistant. They're going to face this. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day, it's a day we're gonna be talking about later, to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What he's saying is hold on a little longer. Just hold on. You haven't... You haven't seen the rest of the story. And honestly, that's what we see in Revelation 6. You know, there's three, uh, three signs that, that, man, judgment is coming. And there's this, there's this period of time that you've probably heard referred to as the Great Tribulation. It's, it's a tribulation period in which God's judgment is going to be unleashed. And, and we see it showing up in three different ways. We see uh, three different types of judgments and three different visions. There is the, the vision of seven seals. And when we pick up our reading here in six and seven, uh, and we're right there in the middle of this, there's later going to be the, the, uh, the judgment of seven trumpets, judgment of seven bowls. They're, they're describing unique events that will take place in this, in this period of, uh, of tribulation period. And, and I'm not going to get into all of Revelation uh, 6. Go, go watch, my, uh, watch the May 28th message, because I, I hit this. But I'll just summarize by saying, here's what we can expect during that time. There's going to be deception, war, financial collapse, epidemics, opposition, yes, even persecution. And, and, and so when we hear this, like, like because of maybe popular video preachers or people that, you know, you've watched YouTube channels. Like if you type in Revelation on YouTube, like it, it, you can go down a rabbit hole. Like there's all kinds of stuff. Some of it's really good. Some of it's really bad. And, and, and what I found is that when we talk about the, the, the tribulation, great tribulation, a lot of people just get freaked out. Uh, Christians even are like, ah, oh, I don't know about this. And so today, as we dig, I just want you to know three things. First of all, when it comes to the tribulation, the great tribulation is a time of judgment. Okay, so the first thing you've got to know, and specifically when I say it's, it's a time of judgment, judgment, it's a time of judgment for those who are opposed to Christ. And in Revelation 6, to get a little context, there's, there's a group of, of saints that are under the throne of God. In verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And so the heavenly altar that's, that's here, it's just, it represents the throne of the presence of God. And the fact that they are under the altar means that God has protected their souls even when they are persecuted to the point of death. And what we see is, is they're crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? You ever ask that question? How long are we gonna face this? How long 
Are we going to go, th- go through this pain? How long are our kids going to be morons? How long? Like, like, we've all asked that how long question, but here they're asking how long before you will judge and avenge us, avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told, get this, rest a little longer. If I could like, give a very crass summary of what they're saying is like, chill, chill, rest, rest, rest a little longer until there's still more work to be done until the number of your fellow servants and your brothers should be complete who are to be killed as they themselves had been. And this group of people here, these are men and women who have died because of their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior during this period. And don't miss this. They have fearlessly and faithfully proclaimed and demonstrated their faith. Did you know that faith is not just a private thing given to you to to hide in a closet? Like, I'm gonna go to my prayer closet. Have a prayer closet. I'm all for that. But don't stay there. You you live this. Faith faith in in Christ is, is meant to be proclaimed. Romans 10, how will they hear unless somebody tells them? but it's also meant to be demonstrated. And they have lived this even in the face of savage opposition. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at uh, the big A, capital A, Antichrist. Anybody heard of the Antichrist? Like, you probably got your theories on who that might be. No, here's the thing. We're gonna get to that. But John says in 1 John, the same guy that's getting the vision here, he, he, he wrote earlier, before he received this vision, 1 John, he said the spirit of Antichrist is already among us. That this whole feeling of, of I am anti, I am opposed to Christ, it is already present, it is here. Expect that you will face oppression. And so they face this. They've literally believed and been faithful to the point of death. And now they're longing to see the bad guys get what's coming to them. There is even a desire right now there's a desire for justice in heaven. And the good news that Jesus and Peter and Paul and John proclaimed was, and other prophets proclaimed was this, judgment is coming. Now I'm gonna tell you, I am a fan of judgment when I've been wronged. I'm a big fan. Like not too long ago, I was up visiting somebody in the hospital in Boise and I was coming back and I, I'd just come from the connector and I'd got onto I-84 and ahead of me, actually coming on from the mall Franklin exit, I'd seen up in the distance uh, a state trooper ahead of me. And so I did what every single one of you people that you're going to judge me for what I did, you do the same thing. When I saw that, I hit the brakes and, paw and <laughs> slid down a little bit just to make sure. And, and, and so I, I knew that he was up there probably about a, I don't know, a half mile, three quarters of a mile ahead of me, something like that. And, and so we get on to, you know, take the flying wide, get on 84 West, I come back towards Nampa. And behind me, man, I see a car flying up behind me. And I'm not even in the, the passing lane. I'm in the, the lane next to the passing lane. And this dude is moving. And, and instead of just going around me, I don't know if he's trying to make a point. He gets right up on my tail, turns on his high beams, and it's just riding my tail. And I'll, I'll be honest, there's part of me that said, I'm gonna hit my brakes, but I didn't. Because <laughs> I like my car and I didn't wanna go through that. But, but I'm like, what is this guy doing? And so he just stays like on, on my tail for just, you know, almost to the eagle, eagle exit. And just, just right there, high beams. 
And, and then all of a sudden, just rips around me, flying, almost clips me as he goes around. And the, the passenger flips me off as they go by. And I, I know I'm a pastor. <laughs> However, I'm like, oh, man. And then I remembered, there's a state police trooper up ahead of me. <laughs> and I set back for the fun. They flew by me. They're, so, they're, they're all about get, getting around me and, you know, giving me the bird. And, and I watched them fly by the state trooper. And when his lights went on, <laughs> sweet retribution. <laughs> I slowed down, and I drove by, and then, as I thought about waving, I remembered I'm a pastor and kept going. Here's the deal, man. You, you, like, if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When somebody does something that just gets on you, like, are you kidding me? That is wrong. Like, you are ready for judgment to break out, and you are perfectly fine if God makes you an instrument of his wrath, but normally he doesn't. I want, I want you to think about this. The, the, these, the, there's this group of people in heaven. They have literally suffered to the point of death. And, and, and they're like, man, how long? God, why in the world are you letting this happen? Why in the world are they getting away with this? How long? He's like, hold on a second. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Now, it's interesting because I think a lot of times that, that when it comes to justice, that we're we're like, well, I want to see justice coming, but I want it to come to them, and I don't want to get caught up in the middle of it. Any of you ever have a teacher that punished the entire class because of one moron? Anybody ever? Yes, hated that teacher. Like, literally hated that teacher until one day I was coaching football and realized I'm that guy. Like, I, like the guy would screw up, be a knucklehead, and I'm like, everybody, run. And then after a while, I was like, what am I doing, man? Like, I literally am killing the team, but I, I just figured it was good conditioning, and so we're good. But, but here's the thing. Like, we are we're like, man, I, I'm all for justice, but I don't want to get caught out in the overflow when I had nothing to do with this. And, and, and so this is where we get to flip the page, and we're going to get into Revelation 7, and we're going to talk about this, this thing called the Great Tribulation. By the way, if you've come here and you're like, man, I cannot wait to find out, is this church a good Bible-believing church, and do they have my same position on, on the Tribulation? I'm going to stress you out. Now, I'm a, uh, next week, I'll have a little handout that we'll have available with all the different views, the scriptures support all the different views, how people make their arguments, and you can figure it out. But, but here, here's what I want to say. I, do, I, do I have my view? Yes. But what I'm going to do in this, you, you don't need to know what my view is. I'm going to teach the Bible. Like, it, at the end of the day, I don't, I, it doesn't matter where, where I stand on some of these things. It matters. The word, and you know what? We're going to let Jesus do his work. I, I'm sick and tired of the church dividing over the things they should not divide about. And by the way, if right now you are breaking fellowship because they don't see eye to eye with your idea of the events of, of, of uh, Revelation, you need to knock it off. You are in the wrong. The, the main things, do we need to hold on to the Jesus come again? Yes. Do we need to hold on to the fact that there's going to be a great judgment? Yes. Are there things that matter? Yes. But some of these little things that... that, that we get dogmatic about. Revelation was not given 
to be a divisive message. It was a unifying message. It was intended revelation. You know what it is? It's the revelation of Christ. It's revealing Christ. We think it's all about revealing weird things and, and we're trying to put people and nations and everything in there. And by the way, there is gonna be some reference to some real places that we'll get into, symbolism there. But ultimately, it's revealing Christ. But here's what you've gotta know. There is going to be a time of wrath, but he's going to receive a new vision as we get into to Revelation 7. In fact, that those first two words of Revelation 7, anytime you see after this, that's a signal to you that he's getting ready to receive a new vision. And, and so in Revelation 7, it says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of earth that that no wind might blow on earth or sea uh, against any tree. Now, real quick, when, when you read this, uh, four angels stand at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, what's this referring to? And, and I'm going to say almost certainly it's referring to what we saw last, uh, you know, a few months ago when we were going through Revelation 6, the four horsemen, that, that symbolism of four horsemen that we saw in Revelation 6, I, I'm pretty sure it's tied to that. And you're like, what's your theory? Well, again, Old Testament, you go back to Zechariah 6, where we have the four horsemen introduced there. They're also described as the four winds of heaven who have presented themselves to the Lord on earth. And these are, these are these four horsemen, these, these four winds, if you will, that are being held back. So we've got to ask the question, why are the angels holding them back before the final judgment? We're going to see why. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay, what's the reason he's holding back? He just said it right here. So the servants of God can be sealed. Let's pause just a minute here. This isn't the first time that we see God sealing or marking his people. We just took communion today. Communion, uh, when Jesus said what he said, this is a new covenant in my blood, and he was celebrating something called it was a, the, the, Jew, the high feast of the Jews, Passover. What is Passover? Passover is when uh, man, the, the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. The final plague comes in. I already mentioned this. What took place uh, when, when the angel of death came to kill the firstborn, a spotless lamb had to be sacrificed. Blood was put on the door jam, and they were delivered from this. They were marked by the blood. We don't, that's not the only time he marked his people. We see Lot when judgment is coming on Sodom and Gomorrah, he is marked so that he is protected during this time. We see Rahab when Jericho's walls are tumbling down, when, when the army's coming in, she and her family are sealed. They're marked by God. What, what we see throughout scripture is that God marks and seals his people and he's even going to do this at the very end of days. By the way, can I tell you that you and I have been marked by God even now? We literally have been given the Holy Spirit. There's a down payment. Literally, the Spirit is this mark that we have even here, even now, as believers. But what, what we see here is that 
is that the, the, the people of God are going to be marked, and, and we read more about this when we see in verse four, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. He starts naming the, 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 each tribe, 12,000 of each. Gad, Asher, uh, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. 12,000. And so real quick, you're like, who are these, these 144,000 that are sealed? Well, can I just first of all tell you who they're not? And I'm going to actually combat uh, uh, a modern teaching that is present, a false teaching is present. It is not the Jehovah's Witness. It's just not, because that's, that's something that's a big deal. They, they say that we are the select, we're the, the special forces of God's, God's kingdom. It's, it's not. In fact, it's interesting that once Jehovah's Witness grew beyond 144,000, they had to change their theology. But anyway, um, it's, it's not that. There's, there's a variety of theories who it is, and I think we can get in the weeds on this, but you know, there's, there's a theory that this is literally going to be 12,000 Israelites that, that, are, that are sealed, they're gonna go through this time, they're gonna be God's messengers, and, and that very well could be true. Like, it, it could be a, 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 there is, you know, it could be a literal tran- translation of that. But here's the thing we don't know, because elsewhere, when numbers are used in Revelation, almost always they're used symbolically. And so, again, the point is not, do we know for sure? I I do believe that that Israel uh, matters to God. I do believe it's still his his people. But I think what's more significant is not uh, who are the sealed, but what does the seal signify? Because I, I believe that there's a spiritual aspect to this. There's a spiritual ceiling. They're, they're protected from demonic powers. And I just want to say something real quick. In this day and age, we don't talk about, uh, you know, like spiritual warfare. Honestly, we should. Now, there's some people who go to seed on this. So, you know, the car won't start and are saying it's a demon. It's not. You didn't put gas in your tank. Like, that's not a demon, unless you're the demon. But uh, like, so like, I, there's two, there are extremes. I, I get this. But I also think there's an extreme in which we, we're just like, there is no such thing as demonic oppression or possession. There is. And by the way, as pastor, I've seen firsthand stuff I can't explain any other way than, than we, there are rulers in high places that exercise spiritual dominion. That being said, I want to make sure that we understand that we don't have to be nervous about this. We can feel the impact of, 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 of satanic oppression. The child of God never has to worry about demonic possession. We belong to God, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, and so, like, th- this whole thing of, man, I'm worried about this. I don't know. Man, what if, what if, what if? Honestly, we need... Man, we have not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of love, of power, of a sound mind. We need to exercise what God has given us. We have the spirit of Christ living in us. Let's, let's remember that we have the, the king that is, that is alive. He is on the throne. And, and guys, while we will, we will face spiritual oppression, man, we are not under his possession. So there's this spiritual ceiling that, that says, man, you're gonna persevere, which means that, man, also, you can know that you're not going to fall away. These, these 144,000, whether they represent a literal 144,000 of, of the Jews or whether, whether as others uh, believe it represents the entire church that belongs to Christ and their protection at the time, what, whatever the case, 
Here's what we can know. These that have been sealed will not fall away. They have been redeemed and purchased by God. They have been sealed. They've been marked. They belong to God and they will not, fa- they will not fall away, which is good news. Again, to those of us who get freaked out at Revelation, oh, when the bad things happen, when persecution comes, I don't know that I'm gonna stay strong. I don't know that I'm gonna make it. Here's the good news that can just, like if you're losing sleep at night, dude, take a pill and go to bed because like, this is gonna be good right here. <laughs> at the end of the day, we don't have to worry about whether we're gonna be strong enough when the t- time of testing comes because God today has not given you the measure of strength that you will need then. And so for you to look at somebody else as like, man, I hope I can stand like them. You don't have to say, I hope that, I, that I'm gonna stand like them. Again, we've been given the spirit. He will strengthen us. There's a reason why, why Jesus told his disciples to not worry in that day when they're questioned, when they're, when, when they're, when they're called to give an accounting. He said, the Holy Spirit's gonna give you what you need in that time. Can I tell you that the same thing is true to us? In fact, what we read here, really what this is, is, letting, us, is, is letting us know is, is actually a pretty powerful, a powerful point. God's people will be protected during the Great Tribulation. We're, we're going to make it through. We're going to make this as a spiritual ceiling. It's, it's gonna make sure that we get through. This, this seal authenticates those who belong to God. If you go back to Revelation 3.12, all through Revelation 2 and 3, for, those, for the church that endures, for those who endure, those who endure, those who endure, there are all these promises. The promise of chapter three, verse 12 says that the one who endures persecution will have written on him the name of God and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem. If you think about it this way, if you think about it this way, literally what you're given, what you're given is a heavenly passport that says, you're not just getting through this, you're gonna be ushered to the city of God. Now I've traveled a lot around the world and uh, man, I remember I I traveled a lot uh, in the days, you know, the months following 9-11 and it, it was kind of crazy, kind of hairy at times. And everybody's cracking down. And back then we didn't know what we didn't know. And, and so, I mean, they were so ticky-tacky about everything. In fact, to get back into the country, there were times I just dreaded U.S. customs because it was going to take forever. And I was always worried that there was going to be something that was off on my passport. There's something that, that wasn't right or, or so I was going to say something stupid or whatever. And, and because they were being very, very careful But what I love about this seal, this heavenly passport, if you will, it's not dependent on you saying what is right. It's you having the proper credentials. And what we read here is literally God himself is going to seal his people. And so whether we go through this or not, if we do go through any part of the great tribulation, what we can know is that we are sealed. We're not gonna fall away. That's actually something you can take to the bank, which is a powerful, powerful truth. The third thing that I would say that I want us to understand about the Great Tribulation before I shut up today is this. After the Great Tribulation, what we're gonna see in in chapter seven is another part of this, uh, is another part of the story. After the Great Tribulation, God's people are going to celebrate. 
And so it's interesting because, because we're going to go back into the next chapter, into the events of the Great Tribulation, but he's given us a picture here that's on the other side of the Great Tribulation. Here we go. After, after this, remember, it's another new vision. Verse 9, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, let it be so. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we're seeing this incredible celebration like we've won. This is it, man. Like, he's actually done everything that he said he was going to do. We get to rejoice now. Well, there's a guy, an elder comes up to John. He's having this vision, verse 13, and he asks him, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they came from? And John didn't say this. He's like, I'm the one having the vision. I don't know. He said, you tell me, sir. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They made it. So we're seeing now that what they were promised, the seal worked. They're coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will, man, this is such a beautiful picture, will shelter them with his presence Everything they face, everything they've lost, check this out. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Man, they've been running. They've lost their homes. They've lost whatever. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb, this is one of the beautiful, most beautiful turns of phrases here. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. Hold on a second. What this is saying is that the good shepherd that we see in Psalm 23 that he doesn't just make you lie down in green pastures. He, he doesn't just lead you beside still waters. He's going to take you even through the valley of the shadow of death. The same shepherd we find out is actually the lamb. Is this crazy or what? The lamb is the shepherd and he's not done shepherding. We get to heaven. It says that he's going to guide them to springs of living water. Do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter four? She's thirsty. He said, I have water you don't know of. You drink this water. You will never thirst again. This is living water. There is, he's guiding us to living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's over. Now we cry about a lot of things, but we're not going to cry in heaven. It's because that we're going to finally see that God's been writing a story this whole time and we've been part of the story that God is writing. And I, this is, I'm going to give you this theory that is just a theory. But I believe that the story that we're part of today that is to God's glory that began with his creation of the world that's gonna culminate with, with his, with his uh, saved in heaven rejoicing with him is a story that is gonna be on repeat all through the ages, all through the galaxies. It's a story that speaks of his greatness, of his glory, of his ability to redeem even the worst lost causes. You know, there's all... Listen, I don't have time to get into all the rebellions, but there are three major rebellions that you'll see if you read through Genesis. There's Genesis 3, the rebellion where Adam and Eve sin. 
They resist God. And then there's punishment. They're expelled. They're expelled from the Garden of Eden. They're expelled from paradise. That moves us to Genesis chapter six, which is the weird one, where the sons of God come down and they see the daughters of man and have kids. And you're like, that gets weird. Nephilim, like, whoop, where are we going? Again, what, I'm not gonna get into that yet. There's a series coming up that's coming from that, but I'll just say this. There was a judgment because it says that man began to sin greatly and what was the punishment? There was a flood that wiped out all of these people. We get to Genesis 11, post-flood. God's done a new thing. He gave Noah and his sons the same command he gave Adam. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And boy, did they ever. And we see there's 70 different nations there in Genesis chapter 10, different generations. We get to Genesis 11. They're all speaking one language, but yet they get together and they're like, you know what? We're gonna use this oneness, not for the glory of God, but man, for ourselves, we're gonna build a tower to heaven. And that doesn't mean they were building a skyscraper. It would have been something more like a, a staircase. It was like a, a means by which they could ascend to the heavens. They could become sons of God or a means by which the sons of God could come down and repeat what they did in Genesis 6. What they were saying was, we, we don't want God to reign. We want to reign. And honestly, that's been the story in every one of the rebellions. God, we don't want you to reign. We want to reign. So what does God do? He disperses them. He, he sends them, he breaks up their language. They all speak different languages they can't understand. And those that understand, they, they, they go to different regions of the country, uh, of, the, of the earth. They have, you know, it, it, honestly, it's the institution of all these nations. And we know the result of this, the racism, the hatred, the competition, that, the wars that have marked ever since. And yet, following every punishment, there's a promise. Follow, you know, following the sin of, of Adam and Eve, man, there's a promise that one day a descendant of, of Eve is gonna crush the head of the enemy. We see after, after the flood, there's this, there's this promise that, that God gives in this, in this covenant that he makes with Noah that, man, I'm starting again, that, that I'm, not done with, I'm not done with you. There's a promise that, that we're going to see on the, that we see on the other side of, of Genesis 11, where he calls a guy by the, by the name of Abraham out of a place of, of uh, man, literally, if you, if you look at where he was originally from, not early Chaldees, where he lived later, where he called him out of Mesopotamia, he's out of Babylon, where the heart of where the rebellion took place. He calls this man named Abraham, makes a covenant with him, and he says that one day through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to do this redemption because even though he scattered and he chose for his own, this nation, Israel, through Abraham was going to come Christ and what Christ did on the cross, what we remembered as we took communion was this. He died to give us access to make of himself a holy nation. And now what we see in heaven in, in Revelation 7 is the culmination where everything's come full circle, where all the nations that have been distributed because of, of geographic location or because of the difference of, of languages, we read there's this great multitude from every nation, from every tribe, all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb saying the same thing, glory to God. He is to be honored. And we're going to celebrate because what God has always been about doing, he completed, and it is good. And the thing for us as we close here today is that beautiful, beautiful 
part that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's a powerful promise because, you see, God's not through with his people. He's not through with his nation, with Israel. He's not through with his, his people, the church. He's not, he's not through uh, with, with any of us. Those who we think are, are too far gone, there's no such thing as a lost cause with God. He can still faithfully save, call, redeem. I don't care how complex the situation is. But man, this whole beautiful thing that God isn't just going to, just going to seal us in times of persecution, that there's coming a day when what we cry about today is gonna be wiped from our eyes is a beautiful thing because many of you cry. David, when he wrote Psalm 56, said in Psalm 56, eight, you've kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. There's a, there's a tear bottle that he uses symbolically. These tears, he's holding on to these tears. <sighs> what John saw in this vision is there's coming a day when, dink, the last tear is going to be wiped and in that bottle, we're going to put the cap on because you're not going to need that anymore because we're home, we get it, we're protected, we've made it, we've made it through. God has fulfilled every one of his promises. There's no more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more pink slips, no more, you just, you get what I'm saying. We are home. And because we're home, we are safe for all eternity. One day we will see heaven. One day we will see Jesus. But until then, we're living here and we suffer and there are days, like the psalmist wrote, that, that it just looks like the wicked wind. What God tells us through these visions is, hold on, judgment is coming. But do not fear my judgment because in those, day, in those times of judgment, I'm gonna protect my people. But you've gotta know that even as you're seeing things and it feels like it's getting worse and worse, that man, there's a party that's getting ready to break out in heaven. Today we cry, tomorrow the tears are wiped away and we party and the party's gonna go on and on. And then what we're gonna celebrate is the fact that God delivered. We are safe. We are home. And so God, as we close the service, I'm praying that we would understand that you have not given us revelation for us to sit in fear or to get so caught up in, in, in details and the weird parts of this that we, maybe we don't understand that we miss the message. God, the message that a suffering church needs to hear is pretty simple. God, you're going to avenge us. You're going to avenge and God, there's going to come a day when just like I celebrated when I saw those lights went on, we're going to celebrate when you do what only you can do. And our God, we're looking forward to that day. But until then, you've, you, you've given us a responsibility. First of all, you've given us the opportunity to know you through Jesus Christ. And God, to, man, to be given the Holy Spirit, to be sealed, dear God, to that, that beautiful thought that, that we can be, that, we, that even now we can know that we belong to you is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, God, I'm praying that if there's anybody here that has just been dabbling to God, that they would go all in, that they would put their faith in what Christ did on the cross. Instead of us trying to be perfect people, God, that we would put our faith in what Christ did on the cross and realize that, that even today, they can not, not only can they be saved from their sins, they can be saved to eternal life as they repent and trust fully in you and follow Jesus. God, that's what we want more than anything. And so God, I just pray that as we go here, that your people would go in confidence, knowing that what we see today is not the end of the story. God, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And at the end of the day, you are going to win. And so God, for what you're going to do through your faithful church, 
and for your faithful church. We thank you for this. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Listen, if anybody wants to take next steps, if you haven't, if you haven't received Christ, man, we are here for you. Stop by the next steps wall. Pull, pull me aside, man. I can't wait to see what God has in store for you. You're dismissed. See you next week.